we have been in a series called We Need to Talk. Uh, and the whole premise of this is that effective communication is key for relationships. And the idea is that as human beings, we really stink at effective communication. Um, don't elbow your, your spouse or someone that you love next to you. But that's a fact. We, we stink at effective communication because we live in a world uh, where sin is apparent in our lives. Sin is, is imminent. It's something that we all have to deal with. And at the root of sin is selfishness. So we inherently put ourselves first. That's just how we are. And so we have to learn to be effective communicators and put the other person first. That's something that the Holy Spirit helps us with. And so we've talked about a lot of communication-type things as we've gone through the series. Today we're going to be talking about conflict. And what do we do whenever communication breaks down? What do we do whenever we are behind the eight ball? We've said things we don't mean, and, and there's problems, there's issues, and we have to deal with it. Um, the fact is, is that conflict is inevitable. How many of you have never had conflict in your entire life? We just want to worship you after the service is over today because that means you're perfect. So we have a space picked out. It's a lofty space. We're just going to all bow down to you. I am being facetious right now. The fact is that we, we all have to deal with conflict because we're all human beings. And I want you to know that all conflict isn't bad. Conflict is actually, it, it can be a good thing if we handle it well. In fact, I would say that intimacy and joy can be at the end of conflict if you handle it God's way. Uh, Jerry Bridgers, uh, Bridges was a man, he's, he authored many books, he is a conference speaker, um, he is a counselor. He came up with this concept called the, the tunnel of conflict. And he says we all have to go through this in order to get to a place in relationships where there's joy and intimacy because conflict is inevitable. We all have to face it. And so I, years ago we came up with this concept, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw some things on the board today as we go through, but I, I kind of want to draw this illustration of what a tunnel of conflict is. And so here we are, and uh, we, we're <laughs> does that look like you? I don't know. We have a graphic arts designer on our staff. I'm not him, so I'm just going to put that out front right now. Um, but there's this thing called the tunnel of conflict, and the tunnel of conflict is not a fun place to be. I'm just going to put TOC, tunnel of conflict. And we all understand when there's issues that come up in our lives, we all understand when, when conflict comes, it's actually a tunnel. And inside this tunnel is confrontation. Inside this tunnel is, um, is are, are people confronting us. It's, it's tension. We don't want to deal with this, so typically we avoid it. That's what we do as human beings. But what we don't understand is at the end of this, if we handle it the right way, is intimacy, is joy, is meaningful relationships. There's all these things at the end of conflict. Now, we think that if we avoid conflict, that we'll have these things. We'll have intimacy and joy. Meaningful and, and positive and intimate relationships is not um, the idea that we avoid conflict. Meaningful and intimate relationships means that we handle conflict well. And so the only way to have joy, the only way to have intimacy, real joy that lasts, intimacy that lasts, is to go through this with the people that we love and handle it in a God-honoring way. And at the end of that is joy and intimacy. So we, we can't be avoiders of conflict. We have to handle conflict well. And so today we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about what do we do when communication breaks down? How do we handle conflict. And I just want to go ahead and tell you that there are three phases of conflict that we go through in, uh, as we're walking through conflict. Three phases that are in this tunnel should we decide to go through it. Now, 
there, there's another path that we can take as well, and it goes this way. It's called avoidance of conflict, and we're going to talk about what a what detriment that is to relationships in a little bit. But in order to get joy, anything meaningful out of your relationships, you have to deal with conflict, and you have to do it well. There's three phases of conflict as you go through this. Really quick, I'll tell you what they are. There's recognition, when we recognize there's a problem. Then there's the reaction or proaction phase. You get to choose which one you do. And then there's reconciliation. Now, we all want to get to reconciliation when we have conflict. Nod your head if you say yes. Yeah, we all want to reconcile. That's what we all want to do. But I'm here today to tell you, if, if you don't handle the first two, the recognition and then reaction, proaction, in a godly way, you'll never get to reconciliation. And so I want to talk about what that is, what those look like, what the Bible says about it. And as we go through each phase, I want to give you a to-do and a to-don't, okay, um, as we go through each one. Now, the, the, the first one uh, is the recognition phase. And I'm just going to erase the tunnel of conflict here because we don't want to look at it too long, right? The, the first phase that we come to is recognition. Now, it's going to be on the screen, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write it up here too. The recognition phase. Everybody understands what this phase is because we, this is when we understand that there's a problem. We feel it. We sense it. It's weird. We, don't, we want to avoid it. You know what I mean? Um, we, it's, we, we recognize it. We don't want to bring it up. We don't want to bring up the problem. Uh, we don't know how to bring it up. And even if we did, we're not even quite sure if we're going to bring it up because it's just weird. We'd, we'd rather just skirt around it. The other person in the relationship, they may or may not even know there's a problem, depending on how they grew up and what they're doing. And if you even let them know that, that it is a problem, they may not even be aware of it. Now, what's dangerous about this, this, uh, this phase is that you could have this recognition of a problem but ignore it. And what happens is the two people actually, as a byproduct, they get further and further apart. And the problem actually comes in between them, and it gets bigger and bigger. So we look at it, and we go, you know what? I know there's a problem, but I don't want to deal with it. They couldn't handle it. I can't handle it, a.k.a. I'm not going into the tunnel of conflict. I'm not going in there. I'd rather go a different route. But handling conflict well, again, means you're on your way to something intimate. You're on your way to something meaningful. And it could be a, a spouse relationship. It could be a friend relationship, uh, a family relationship. But those relationships happen, and they, the result of intimacy happens when we handle conflict well. So when I'm in the recognition phase, I have to address this. Okay? So here's a to-do. You ready? Because how we address it is, is, is all the difference. makes all the difference. Uh, here's a to-do. Talk to God. That's your first to-do. Shake your head if you're with me. You have to talk to God. Now, we want to do a lot of talking when we recognize things. When the problem comes up, some of us think, well, they need to hear everything I have to say about this or else I'm not doing the relationship justice. Pause the button, right? Hit the pause button and talk to God first. James chapter 1, verse 5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, but we should be humble enough to understand that we need wisdom, right? Okay, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So as soon as you recognize that there's a problem, as soon as you recognize that maybe I, I don't know exactly how to deal with this, I'm not 100%, pray. I don't know how to work through it, pray. When you do this, don't pray for solutions, because then we get busy trying to figure out what the solutions are, and we try to put it in there. Pray for perspective. Lord, what is my role in this conflict? I, I need perspective. I need to pray for godly perspective. Um, the, the trap is to think that it's all their fault. And I'm here today to tell you that's a farce. It, it's, a problem is never somebody's fault. Even if it's 95% their fault, there's 5% that you need to own. 
And so because we have that bias about ourselves and because we're by nature wanting to try to blame somebody else and, and not see our own faults, we need to go to God and we need to pray and say, God, give me perspective. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. He said, why, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? You just get the picture of what he's saying there, like walking around with a big plank of wood. He said, first, take the wood out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly, have perspective, right, to be able to take the dust out of your friend's eye. And so we pray, God, give me perspective. Help me to see past myself. That's really what you're praying. You're not praying, God, fix them. Lord, they have a big problem, and me and you are going to handle this thing together. You're saying, God, change me. How do you want me to see me? And when you begin to pray that, and when God begins to speak to your heart after that prayer, it's amazing how often the next phrase out of your mouth is, is, I'm sorry. I was wrong for, for, for this particular thing. Whatever it is, and you begin to own it. And that's what starts the path of healing right there. Never underestimate the power of humility whenever you're praying for this and in your relationships. And, and don't just think about what you're having to give up to be humble, because it hurts. Being humble hurts. You have to give up your pride and give up what you really wanted to say. Don't think about that. Instead, think about the depth of relationship that you're gaining that's on the way because you decided to do it God's way and be humble. That is always worth it. So pray. Ask God for wisdom. Ask for His perspective and let Him change you. Can, can I give you a to don't <laughs> when you're in the recognition phase? Don't talk to other people. Don't talk to other people. Now, I'm not saying that you have to always deal with conflict alone or that you can't invite somebody in to get counsel, but you need to be very careful who you invite into an issue that you're having with someone you're in relationship with. Because I think sometimes instead of uh, praying the James 1.5, God give me wisdom, I th and, and, and ask for guidance, I think sometimes we ask our friends or we ask that family member, or we ask somebody who is going to agree with us because we feel safe there. And so we go and we vent all this stuff out, and it becomes a big problem because it turns into gossip at that point. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20 says this, When you run out of wood, the fire goes out. And when the gossip ends, the quarrel dies down. And sometimes we feel like we just need to go vent to that person or vent to them because they're the closest to us when in actuality we need to leave them out completely because it's turning into gossip. Gossip is talking to someone who is not part of the problem or part of the solution. You need to write that down. It becomes gossip when I invite somebody into an issue that's not part of the problem or a part of the solution. And I just want to illustrate this for you real fast with something that we're calling the problem box. Now, you, this is when you have a problem, and the problem box is what you're in. Now, typically, this is with two people in, in some given relationship. It could be more. Uh, if there's a group of people that kind of have an issue, but th that's two people that are in relationship with each other, and they have a problem, okay? Now, the goal is to close the box, to resolve this problem, and in order to do that, you have to give closure to every person that's in that box. Not that everyone feels the best all the time, but there's closure there, and the problem has been resolved. Now, what we do, and we don't even mean to, is we invite people into this box that aren't part of the problem or part of the solution, and, well, let me just tell you what, what my husband did or my spouse did, and we, I need your help on this, and we go to our friends, and we've just invited somebody into the box, and that's one more person that has to get closure before this box and problem gets solved. And I, I saw somebody the other day who uh, 
put some problem they, them and their spouse were having on Facebook. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, their 800 friends are a part of this problem box too. And so now you've just invited all these people into the box, and then this person, they're, they're your friend or they're your family member, but they really don't hold the information as precious and priceless as you. So they're quick to say, oh, would you pray for uh, so-and-so? They're going through X, Y, Z. And now the other person that they've just told is now in this problem box. And you can see how this can spread easily, right? And so this person goes in. If you put it on Facebook, oh, my goodness, it just exponentially gets bigger. And what happens is the more you put people in this box, the box can do nothing but get bigger. It has to get bigger in order to hold the people that are in it. And so you just made, you're not just making your, your world more problematic. You, you're making the, the problem bigger, which I guess is the same thing. And all of a sudden now it, it has to be able to uh, get bigger to be able to hold all these people that are in it. The, the danger that we have whenever we invite people into the, the problem box that aren't a part of the problem or a part of the solution, um, w- one of the dangers that's a part of this is, is we ask friends for advice that when they give it, they're going to go home and they're, they're not going to have to deal with the fallout of the advice they gave you. Well, let me tell you what I would do if I were you. You tell them that they don't need to talk to you like that. You can leave. You know what? You don't need them anyway. You know what? They, you don't deserve that. And they're, they're going to pump you up full of all this stuff, and then they're going to go home, and they're going to sleep nice and tight in their bed, and you have to go home and deal with the fallout of the decision that they told you to do. Should they be in the problem box? Absolutely not. They should be, you shouldn't say a word to them. Let me tell you something that we all do that is, is very problematic. When we invite people into the problem box that are really close to us, like a family member or a really close friend, um, specifically mamas and daddies and grandparents, people that maybe raised us, there are certain bits of, of information that you should never give to a mama or to a daddy because they have to hold what that other person is doing to their son or daughter. I, I remember um, having issues back in life and going to my mama, and I, I begin to realize very quickly, I don't need to tell mama everything because mama's getting really mad. <laughs> and, and, and you go and you, you tell, you know, if, if you're a daughter, you go tell your mama or your daddy what exactly that your husband or your wife did, and they're going to give you some good advice, and then you go home and you have worked things out. And everything's cordial now, and everything's good, and you're, you're with your spouse on your way to an intimate relationship, and mama has to sit back there and remember everything that you've said. And mama's good, but mama ain't over it. Mama remembers that, and while you're good and fine and everything's dandy in your relationship, mama's giving that guy ugly looks at Thanksgiving because she hadn't gotten over it. And so there are, there are times where we really need to be careful about who we invite into this problem box. Are they part of the problem? Or are they part of the solution? If they're not, then keep your mouth shut and go to God with it. Talk to God. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask how. Uh, ask Him how. How do I need to handle this? Give me perspective. Sometimes you can invite somebody into the box if they're going to be part of a godly solution. If if it's a counselor or somebody like that, you you can invite them into the box. But when you're thinking about family members or friends, ask yourself this question: Is this person going to? Add to, and help me close this box, and add to the intimacy in my relationship? Or am I just venting? If they're not a part of the problem or they're not a part of the solution, then hold your tongue and go to God. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So when you recognize that there's an issue, go to God, pray for perspective, and and don't gossip. 
uh, invite people into the box that's only going to help you resolve this in a godly way. That's the recognition phase. Um, and then after the recognition phase, there is a reactive and proactive phase. So you've recognized that there's an issue, and all of a sudden you find yourself um, with two choices. You can either react or you can proact. You can react or you can proact. Everybody say goodbye to the problem box. We didn't like you anyway. Right? We just needed to be smaller. So you can either react or you can proact. You have figured out that there is a problem, and a lot of the times whenever uh, we are faced with reacting or proacting, the emotion of the recognition phase has gotten to the point where it's boiling over. We know there's an issue, and we finally want to talk about it, and we react. And we blow up. We, well, I can't believe that you did that. This is the big problem, and you need to know about it. And it becomes emotional. It becomes unhealthy. Oh, yeah, well, let me tell you what I think about it. And there's, just, there's this combination of be people being defensive and people attacking, and we're reacting. Now, let me tell you about a dangerous cycle that happens whenever we react. We get to a place, even if it's a long-term relationship with a friend or a family member or especially a husband and wife, we get to the place where we go, you know what, I don't want to fight. We, we're better than this, you know, we're, we've been friends a long time, um, you know, if, if, it's, if it's two dudes, they, they bro-hug it out, you know, if, if, it's, if it's a marriage, it typically goes, I love you, let's, I don't want to fight, and we kiss and we make up, and what happens is we go from the reaction phase, and all we've done is cycle back up to the recognition phase, and so it seems like peace because there's nothing happening, we're not fighting anymore, but we haven't dealt with anything. We haven't dealt with the problem. And so give it an hour, give it a day, give it a month, whatever, that problem's going to come back up, and all of a sudden now you're recognizing there's a problem again. And then you're forced to either come back to reaction or proaction. A lot of times we react, we blow up, we, we do this secular. We have the same problem come up over and over again, only to come say, oh, you know, I don't want to fight. I don't want to do this anymore. Let's just hug and let's let's just let's just make up and let's 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 not fight anymore. And all we've done is push the the, the problem. We've hit the snooze button on it, and then we come back up to the recognition phase, and then the problem comes up again, and we come back to reaction. And it's this perpetual cycle that goes over and over and over again. And that's the danger. Some people are in that cycle for years and years. Have you ever seen a, a marriage a marriage couple who, um, after like thirty years, all of a sudden they divorce? And nobody knows why. It's because they've been in this cycle where they, they recognize there's issues, they react, they kiss, they make up, they come back up to, to recognition. And then they go right back down to reacting, and they, they settle it for a little while. And there is a, a semblance of peace here. And it seems like we're doing things, but give it a little bit of time, and all of a sudden we're recognizing the same problems keep coming back up, and we realize we haven't dealt with anything. The problem is still there. We're just really good at making out. <laughs> we're really good at making up. We're really, yes, I said make out on purpose. We're really good at making up and making out. And, and, and we, not with your friends, hopefully, but with your spouse. And, and, and we just, we come back up and we, we just in this cycle. <laughs> there, there was a particular couple who was married 26 years. And they had children and the kids grew up and the kids moved out of the house. And they were an empty nest house, you know, and they're sitting there. And all of a sudden they're by themselves and they realize they don't like each other very much at all. They don't have a lot in common. They haven't worked through the issues. The same issues they had years ago are still there. And they realize that they just stayed together because of the kids, the busyness of the kids and the life that the kids had and the schedules and whatnot. It, it glued them together. But they haven't done anything to work through their issues. And so they realize after 26 years when the kids moved out, we've been in this cycle of recognition and reaction. And they realize, you know what? 
we, we could leave each other right now. That's the danger of this. We could divorce and be a statistic. And if I'm being completely honest with you, there was large parts of them that wanted to. But they said, I don't want to do that. And so they got counseling, and they went into counseling with the realization that they want to break through this cycle. Something in our marriage has to change. And it's not just being good at kissing and making up and coming back into this cycle. We actually want to do something about it. And so instead of reacting, they decided to be proactive, to proact. Say proact. That, that's different. And, and, and proaction is different. Proaction is when there is an intentional effort to change. Proaction is when there is a strategic effort to save the relationship. Proaction initiates change. It's not a band-aid. It's not an agreement that we're going to push it off to the side and learn to get really good at ignoring it. But it's an effort to save the relationship. Now, full disclosure here, when you begin to proact, when you, when you become proactive, it takes all the humility and all the courage that you can muster at times because it does not feel good at all. In fact, you feel like reacting. Reacting feels safe because I can, I can blow you off, I can say what I need to say, and I can preserve my own heart, my own feelings. But then we just end up right back in recognition, and the time goes by, and the problem's still there. When you, get, when you begin to proact, that means holding your heart out and trusting that the other person is not going to murder it. And sometimes they do. And then it's just like, well, I don't ever want to do that again. And it takes courage and humility to, to once again pour your heart out to somebody and not attack them, but hold your heart out and, and hold it out and be humble and, and be proactive. I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm going to do my part in, in holding my heart out on the line. And so it, it takes humility and it takes courage and it takes something that sometimes we don't feel like we have. So there's a couple uh, of things that I want to warn you about. The first one is I want to give you something to do, and that is this. When you're, when you're being proactive, do ask for a peace conference. That sounds official, doesn't it? Hey, husband, we need a peace conference, you know. Um, ask for a peace conference. This is when you recognize there's an issue and emotions have spiked, and we, we want to just say whatever we want to say and, and react, but we need to come over here to proaction and say, you know what, I want a peace conference. And what we're saying is, is that I want to walk forward in peace. We need to have a, a neutral conversation at a neutral time um, where I can speak to you and you can speak to me without us ripping each other apart. And that conversation will set the pace for how the rest of it goes. And, and that's so important because you're in this thing called the tunnel of conflict. And every conversation you have, especially this first one, is detrimentally important. And that first one's going to set the pace of how things go regarding the issue. Now, the goal in this conversation is not to prove the other person wrong. The goal is not, listen, I would even say this, it's not even to solve the issue. When you're trying to, to get to a point where you're reconciled, don't try to solve the issue right there in the beginning. The goal is just peace. The goal is saying we're going to agree to unify around this thing and we're going to go forward in a way where we're not ripping each other apart. We're going to find a solution together. We don't know what it is yet, but we're going to be proactive in the beginning and say we are going to do this together. Uh, some of you remember the Cold War. Other of you have read about it. Uh, the United States and the Russians had nuclear weapons aimed at each other. It was a very tense time in the world, especially for these two countries. And, and they knew, the one thing they knew is they didn't want to completely obliterate each other. Because they knew if one fired, the other would fire, and both countries would be completely and utterly destroyed. They didn't agree on anything else. And so when they came to the table to talk, the only thing that they agreed on was that we don't want to use the nukes. We don't want to use deadly weapons. 
we don't want to rip each other apart. That's the conversation that we need to have whenever we come to these, uh, these tense converse conversations with the people that we love. We don't know what else we agree on, but we know we don't want to tear each other apart. And that may be where you're at. That may be the only thing you agree on, but it's, it's a starting place. And so that leads me to my don't. When you're in this conversation, don't use deadly weapons. Agree that you're going to have peace. Don't use deadly weapons. Uh, when you're talking things out, I want to give you a few examples really quickly that, that you need to steer clear of. Don't compare. Well, you're just like you know, the way you used to be, comparing them to themselves. Or, or you're just like your brother. You're just like them. Maybe even worse, why can't you be more like? It just, just pushes somebody down. Listen, everybody is unique. Maybe there's some comparisons there, but that's not a time to bring that up. Everybody's unique. They're their own person. Let them be who they are and work together. Um, secondly, don't condemn. Don't condemn somebody. You know, you always do this. I shouldn't have expected anything less. I expected this to go just like it did. A condemning nature. Listen, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he said, I did not come to condemn. I came to save the world, not condemn it. Why do we think we're better than Jesus <laughs> whenever we start condemning? Was it because the world didn't need changing? No, it's because condemnation doesn't work. Can you imagine if I stood up here and said, you know what, I want you to come back because we're going to be starting a series called Total Condemnation. For the next eight weeks, we're going to do some serious condemning messages, and I want you to bring your friends. <laughs> that would be horrible. Nobody would ever want to come to something like that. We're not changed by being told what we are. We're changed whenever someone can speak into us and tell us what we can be. That's when we're changed. Condem condemnation never works, so don't condemn. It's a deadly weapon as you're going through this tunnel called conflict. Um, something else is uh, when we command, when we, when we add personal power to the things that we say, I demand that you give me the respect that I deserve. I demand that you do. Listen, when you, when you, when you I would say, stoop to that level, of superficial authority, it diminishes what you say. And it draws a battle line, and it says, you know what? All we're going to do is fight about this. So don't, don't command. Don't challenge or threaten people. Sometimes we give ultimatums. Well, if you don't do this, then I'm going to... Or if you, don't, if, you, if, you, if you start doing that, I'm out of here. And we give these ultimatums. Now, I, I will say this. Sometimes, for dire situations, um, sometimes ultimatums are needed. But I would say get lots of counsel, godly counsel, and pray that thing up. Sometimes it's, it's almost like an intervention that sometimes people need to open their eyes. That's not in every situation. So don't be quick to that because in, in most contexts, ultimatums do not work long term. So you need to don't understand that's a deadly weapon when you pull that out, challenging or threatening. Um, don't condescend or ridicule. When somebody opens their heart to you and they, they're speaking to you out of their heart and you take their feelings and you shove them right back down their throat and tell them all the reasons why their feelings aren't valid, you are ridiculing them and you're condescending towards them. It's a deadly weapon to use when you're trying to be peaceful and trying to figure out a, a starting place. Don't be critical. Don't criticize the other person. Should you be able to air complaints? Yes, there's a healthy way to air complaints. It's when you make it about you, not about them. You do this and you do that and you do this and that's my complaint. No, that's not a complaint. That's a criticism. A complaint is, this is the way I feel right now. I, I may be getting this all wrong, but I feel like I'm not loved right now. I, I feel unprotected. I feel unsure. I feel uncertain. You, you did this. It made me feel this way. Let's talk through this. That's a complaint. But criticizing is when you look at someone and you just lay them out for everything that they're doing. And you, 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 you kind of use that to validate your own feelings. Don't criticize. It's a deadly weapon. Assume the best in the other person. 
That's the only way that you're going to be able to get through that in a healthy way and have that conversation that's a great starting place towards peace. Um, here's the one we all do, and we need to stop it, and that is confusing the issues. We confuse the issues. We get to a place in the conversation where we're losing and we know it, and we switch topics to something that we know we can win. Yeah, some of you are ribbing each other right now, and you're the one that's doing it. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Stick to the issues. A lot of times when we confuse the issues, it comes out of hurt. It comes out of place in our lives where it's not really that we're losing sometimes so much as is that we, we, feel, uh, we, feel, um, we, we feel unprotected. We feel vulnerable when the conversation goes that way. You use that as an opportunity to be humble. Because that's, when you feel like you're losing the conversation, that's not even in God's vernacular. You're not losing anything. He's giving you an opportunity to be humble and lower yourself right there. And say, you know what? Let me think about what they're saying and, and get context out of it and apply the truth that I can to me. God, in James 1.5, give me wisdom here. Give me perspective. I know you'll give it to me. Um, so these things are deadly weapons whenever we come to a conversation where we're trying to have peace. And if you use these things, you're going to stop reconciling, and you're going to start attacking. And then guess what? You're right back to, you're, you were trying to be proactive, but you're right back to recognition phase. And the problem's there. You've swept it under the rug. You don't even realize that you go on, and you come back, and the problem still exists. So don't do that. In fact, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29 says that the man who provokes his family, now we're talking about coworkers, your family members, your friends, people in your bridge group, whoever, uh, when you provoke people like this to anger and resentment, those types of people will finally have nothing worthwhile left. When you provoke people and that becomes what you do, it's a critical spirit about you, those types of people eventually find themselves alone. After a while, it's just, it's just a fact. This is some good wisdom from the Scriptures and Proverbs. Now, for most of us, um, we have a problem with, with one or two of these. Some of us, we have a problem with all of them. We're very tempted to use these weapons of mass destruction when it comes to communication. And if you don't want to use them, don't try and try and try again. You're not the little engine that could. What you need to do is position yourself strategically on the same side of the problem with your spouse or with your friend or your coworker or whoever you have you're in relationship with. And this is what I mean by that. Typically, um, we have a problem that we have. We've, I'm going to put prob. Uh, no prob, Bob. You ever heard of that? If your name's Bob, this is actually a good, good thing to do. So you have a problem here, and typically the way we position ourselves is you and them. And you have the problem between you. And we want to attack the problem, so we start attacking the problem. We're attacking this way, and they're attacking that way. Now, the, the, the larger problem is, is that we have really bad aim. And so we're trying to attack the problem, but what we do on accident when we're on both sides of the problem like this is we attack and we actually hit the other person, and they begin to hit us. And we're looking at each other through the lens of the problem, and our problem in the back of our minds, and maybe we don't even know it, is this other person, not the problem itself. Now, when you position yourself in a different way so that you don't use the deadly weapons, you have the problem over here, but yet you've positioned yourself on one side of the problem. So you're on the same side of the problem. So now you're, you're reconciling. You're starting to say, you know what, right now, first and foremost, it's not about this issue. You just need to know I love you. 
You, you need to know that we're going to stick this out. And I don't know all the answers. I don't know how we're going to attack this thing. I don't know how it's going to get solved. But before we even go there, you need to know I love you. You need to know I value this relationship. If it's a friend relationship, maybe you're, you're hugging it out and you're giving fist bumps. But you're still going to be proactive. You're not jumping back up to recognition because you're going to acknowledge there's a problem there. But you're getting on the same side of it. Now we're going to attack this problem together. And it's focused, and we're, we're focusing on this problem. We're doing it together. We have the same mindset, and that problem shrinks and gets smaller until eventually the problem is not even there anymore, and you're that much closer to unity and intimacy in your relationships. And once you get on the same side of that problem, you're, you're going to move into the last phase, which is reconciliation. It only happens when you're being proactive. Humility and courage and putting that other person first is key. You have to do it, and then we move to reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, a lot of people get confused when it comes to reconciliation because they, they reconcile, they get on the same side of the problem, and then they say, well, there's still a problem here. <laughs> How can we be reconciled if there's still a problem? I want you to remember this, and I want you to, to hear it, remember it, write it down, uh, put it somewhere where you can read it. You don't have to have all the issues worked out before you reconcile. You don't have to have all the issues worked out before you reconcile. Reconciliation is not solving the problem necessarily. Reconciliation is coming to unity about how we're going to attack the problem. We are reconciled. The problem is there, but we're going to solve this together. Now, here comes the hard work because you get on the same side of the problem and you realize the problem is still there and we're in that tunnel called conflict and it's tension-filled and it takes some confrontation and humility and there's hard work that comes out of it, but now we understand that we're working on it together. We're not attacking the problem from both sides and attacking each other. We're attacking this problem side by side. We've, we've reconciled. We, we've come to unity around what it is that we're doing. Um, let me give you a do and a don't when you're reconciling. Are you ready? Do give the gift of love. You have to love the other person as you're reconciling, as you're resolving the problem. I'm not talking about having feelings. I'm not talking about having the, the gushy, oh, I just love you so much, and I feel that you're on my side, because sometimes you're going to feel like they're not on your side. And quite frankly, sometimes you're going to feel like you don't want to be on theirs. You can still be reconciled if you discipline yourself to be humble, go to God, get perspective from Him, and love the other person, not as you think you should love them or they deserve to be loved, but you're loving like Christ loved. Hear me when I say this. You don't have what it takes inside yourself to love that person the way they need to be loved. So stop trying and understand the Scriptures give you a template and latch onto it and pray that God help you. Does everybody hear what I'm telling you? This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5. It talks about love, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Part of it says this, love is patient, and love is kind. Love is not self-seeking, and love keeps no record of wrong. Say no record. None. Zilch. None at all. It never brings anything back up. Now, I've been guilty of that, and so have you, and we need to stop it if we're going to reconcile in ways that bring intimacy and joy and trust in our relationships. We have to love like that. The Bible says this, that, that when we love like that, this is giving people what they need and not what they deserve. When we love like Christ, we give people what they need, not what they deserve. Because we can sit back and go, you know what, this, this is actually your problem. This, you're the reason why we're here and having this issue right now. So you kind of deserve this. You deserve my silence. You deserve... We don't say these things, but we, we think them, and so our actions uh, go kind of go along with that. 
but Jesus Christ loved you so much and never gave up on you. The Bible says in Romans that even while we had our backs turned to him and were sinning, that's when he decided to die for us. And that's the kind of love that we're supposed to give our spouse, our friends, people that we are in conflict with. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm saying love like Christ. Who Philippians tells us that he didn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus came to earth, and he actually put on a servant's towel and put you first. He put the people around him first, even though he was God himself in human form. And Paul reminds us that should be our attitude. We're supposed to put other people's uh, needs above our own. Why? Because it looks good on our heaven resume? <laughs> no, because that's how Christ did for us, and relationships thrive when we do. And if you can't figure this out by yourself, listen, ask for help. Invite somebody into that problem box that's going to help you be a godly solution. You're not venting, you're not gossiping. Maybe you have to go out of town and get a counselor, someone that can be non-biased. They don't know your family. They don't, they don't know the, this person. They, don't, they, they can just give you some godly perspective. Invite somebody in. Get help. Listen, people that have the greatest marriages are not experts on marriage. The only reason why they're there and have a great marriage is because they've humbled themselves and said, I don't know everything about this and I need help. And they've humiliated themselves to the point where they admit they don't know everything and they get help. That's a big do. It's not on the screen, but it's a do. Ask for help. Proverbs 15, 12 says that know-it-alls don't like being told what to do. They avoid the company of wise men and women. And you know what the result is? The result is they stay focused on themselves and their relationships suffer. They keep the other person on the other side of the problem. They keep reacting right back to recognition. And it's just this cycle that never ends. The problem never gets resolved and the person never changes. If you need help, get it. Let me give you a don't while you're reconciling. Are you ready? Say you're ready. I'm landing the plane. I'm closing. If you're in the reconciliation phase and it gets hard, and it will, it's going to get difficult, don't walk out. I, I can't tell you how important that is. If you can't agree on anything else, agree that I'm staying here and I'm not leaving and I'm committing myself to see this relationship through, to get to the other side of this. I don't know how. Maybe I stink at it. Maybe I'm, I'm dealing with, with junk from my childhood that's coming up now, and I didn't realize at this point in my life it would. Maybe I'm dealing with things from a past hurt, from a past relationship, and, and I know I'm projecting it onto you, and I'm doing it in that, but I, I'm, I'm trying to get help. But you need to know I'm committed to stay here. I'm not leaving. I'm not walking out. Jesus never gave up on you. Never. He's not giving up on you now. I, I quoted it a minute ago. Romans says that while we were still sinning and had our backs turned to him, that's, that the Bible says that's when he came to die for us. When we were doing the complete opposite. One of the most unifying things you can do in a relationship isn't solving the problem. One of the most unifying things you can do is letting the other person know that no matter how ugly it gets, you're not walking out. I was counseling with a couple uh, a few years ago, and this couple was ready to throw in the towel. They came in mad. I mean, that's just how it was. And they were so frustrated. Um, the, the woman was just screaming, you know, he, he doesn't listen to me. I can't get through to him. He, don't, he doesn't care. Uh, the man was going, I can't do anything right. Everything I, I try to say or do is not what she's wanting, and, and I don't know what to do. Um, she felt like she was screaming at the top of her lungs half the time, and he just wasn't hearing 
and uh, he felt like he was, but maybe he was confusing the issues, and he didn't know why she was so upset. And, and I remember listening to this, and I, I asked some questions, and I listened, and after about 15 minutes, they were spiraling. And I knew if, if I don't say something or get them to see something in each other that's a good starting place, this thing is going to get ugly. There is a lamp that's going to fly across this room, and I'm going to get hit. <laughs> I was scared, just a little bit. I was scared. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Kind of like whenever people come in and you, you don't quite know what they're capable of, but things start going through your head of what might just happen. It was that. Like, I literally didn't know. Um, and I, I remember finally, this was a Holy Spirit thing. The issues that they were talking about just kind of went out the window in my head for a minute. And, and I looked at him and I said, do you love her? And he said, yes. I said, are you willing to do anything that it takes to, to resolve this, whether we figure it out today or not? Are you willing to stick this out? And he said, yeah. I said, I need you to look at her and tell her that. Look her in the eyes and, and tell her that. And she looked up, and she was mad, and he began to say, I love you. And I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'm not leaving, and I'm committed. All of a sudden, it was like the, the tension left her, and, and her eyes began to tear up. And I looked at her. I said, do you love him? And she said, yeah. I said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? I asked the same question. She said, yes. I said, well, look at him in the eyes and tell him this. She said, I love you, and I'm, I'm committed to staying here, whatever it takes. It was like they hadn't told each other that in forever. You could feel the tension leave the room. And all of a sudden, they're, they've moved closer to each other, and they're both squalling, and they're holding each other. And I'm over here just looking at the whole thing going, man, I wish I had known 15 minutes earlier that was all it would take. You know? But, but it, it, just, it was amazing to me. Were all their problems gone? No way. Their relationship was crazy, and I knew it was going to take a lot, and we, some of us resemble that. It's okay. We're all humans, but it just goes to show you that there is supernatural strength in a relationship when two people get on the same side of the issues, and they know that the other person, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is committed to stay and see this relationship through. Sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes that's the starting place as you reconcile. So do not walk out, because when you have two people that are committed like that, and they don't know how all the problems are going to work out or how it's all going to be, but they know that they're not leaving. They know that they're in it for the long haul. That kind of commitment, God promises to come behind and empower. But if you're always reserving a right for yourself to leave, if it gets bad enough, if it reaches that, I'm reserving in my heart. You may not ever say it, but I'm reserving in my heart a, a reason to walk out. God will never honor your commitment. He can't. He's true to his word. But if you'll commit to each other, God will come alongside it. In Philippians 2.13, it says this. Paul reminds us that God is working in you to help you want to do and to be able to do what pleases Him. Don't you love that? He's not just helping you be able to. Sometimes we don't even want to do it. But it says He is not only working in you to help you be able, but He's going to come behind you and help you to want to because he knows the depths of your heart. If you stay the course in this reconciliation phase and you work yourself through that tunnel of conflict, intimacy and joy are on the other side of it and a resolution will come. It may seem hopeless at times. Look, it's hard. That's why so many people stay in this cycle of reaction and recognition. They, they never get to the proaction and, and reconciliation phase because it's hard. But if you'll stick it out, if you'll be proactive, if you'll get help when you need it, you'll find yourself working through the issues and you'll find intimacy and joy and meaning and trust are in view. And they will come. Your relationship will see that if you'll stick with it. Can I pray with you? 
And then, then we got a couple more things to do, and then we're going to go. God, thank you for this time with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for relationships that you've given us. I feel in my heart right now that, that maybe some of us in the room, you just need to thank God for a minute for your relationship. That there's problems, and that's what you seem to be focusing on a lot lately, but maybe you just need to throw that away for just a second and say, God, thank you. Find, find it in your heart right now for gratitude for the relationship that God's put you in. Thank you, God. I don't know how I'm getting through this, but right now I just want to say thank you. I believe this person is a treasure in my life, even if I can't see it right now. And I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you putting them in my life. Help me to be a better steward, Lord, of the relationship that I have. Help me to get perspective in Jesus' name. Help me to be bold enough to walk hand in hand instead of walking with a problem in between us. Help me to be bold to get on the same side of the issue. I'm praying a deep prayer here, guys. I, I hope you're praying with me. Help me to be bold enough to talk to you, God, and not go out and talk to other people that have absolutely no business being in the relationship. Help me to be bold enough to go to my husband or go to my wife, go to my friend or my coworker, and at the right timing and at the right place, address the issues. Not wage war, but to seek peace and pursue it, as your word says. And walk through this, this tunnel of conflict. And it's going to get hard and ugly sometimes. But God, I pray you'd give us the boldness to know, as Philippians 2.13 says, you're going to give us the desire to do what pleases you and to help us accomplish it. Intimacy and joy. I speak intimacy and joy and trust and, and meaning and depth and passion in relationships right now. It's coming. Lord, help us to step up to the plate and do what we have to do our part. I know you're going to empower it. Maybe some of you are in the room or listening online right now and the relationship with a person really isn't your main concern. The relationship between you and God is what needs to be settled right now. And you need to go to Him. He's, he's, he's calling your name right now. Some of you have been feeling it the whole time I've been talking. There's, this, there's a void down deep inside of you and maybe you've mistaken and thought that a person can fill that void. And it's actually a God-shaped void that He, he put in you and the only way to fill that is Him. He did that for the purpose of a relationship with you. And you need to call out to him right now and put him in charge of your life and ask him to come into your life and start a relationship with him today. He is such a gracious God and he loves you. I wonder if you would pray this bold prayer with me. God, I need you. This void inside of me, I can't fill it with anything else. I've tried to fill it with all kinds of things, but I always come up empty. I know right now that it's you that needs to be able to fill that. And so I give you permission to do it. I believe in Jesus Christ, your son, who came to this earth to die for me in my place. I believe that he bled his blood and really died, and I believe that he rose to life. I believe that one day I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to stand before a perfect God and a perfect heaven, and my perfection is not going to be in existence because I'm not perfect, but that you look at Jesus Christ who died for me, and in all his perfection I'm seen worthy. That he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So what does that mean for me here? God, I'm going to wake up every day, and I'm going to aim my heart at you. I'm going to involve you in all my decision-making. I'm going to pour my passion out on you. I'm not perfect, but Lord, I know through you I can do all things, and I'm going to end up exactly where I need to end up at exactly the right time. Be at the center of my life, Lord. I give you the authority to do that. 
in Jesus' name. Can we say amen together? Amen. I'm, I'm glad each of you came today. I know this has been challenging, but I think it's something that we all can glean from and learn. Listen, if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus Christ today, I want you to mark it down in your Connect card. Would you be bold enough to do that? You have a Connect card. Cassie talked about it earlier. There's a place that says, I prayed to receive Christ. We want to follow up with you. We want to connect with you. Do not make a decision that's that meaningful and that deep in life and walk out of here and do it by yourself. We want to be the church and we want to surround you. Would you give us the opportunity to do that? It takes just a second, but I promise you it will make all the difference in the world. If you prayed that prayer, check that box and hand it to the ushers on the way out the door. If it's your first time here today, I just want to tell you thank you again for being here. Um, the, our VIP desk is out there. You can just bypass the ushers if you want and take your card to them. They have a gift they want to put in your hand. Just spend a couple seconds with you before you go on your day just saying thank you for being here, just to connect with you just for a second. Guys, if, if you have a next step that you want to take, maybe you want to know what your next step is. Maybe you want to know how to get connected to the church or, or what we believe or, or how to be involved in a bridge group around here. What do I do besides just coming to services? That Connect card is what it's all about. So take it. I want you to fill it out. Put your prayer requests on there. We, we pray for every single prayer request every week. Messages like this, that they just, they just explode. I need prayer requests. I, I need prayer. I need it in my life. And so we're here to help you do that. So fill that thing out. That is our resource to you. It's the way we connect with you. So don't forget to do that on your way out. A uh, couple things really fast. We're also taking up our tithes and offerings today at the end of service. You heard earlier. We're going to start doing that more and more. It helps streamline our service time better. Um, so as you walk out, this is a non-judgment zone, okay? If you haven't come prepared to give today, you can just smile and, and walk out. You don't have to feel judged. Um, they're there if you can't come prepared to give for you to drop it there. We have uh, online giving that we do, so maybe you've, you've utilized that. We want you to be able to give to this church because this church is rooted in God, and we're changing lives for His kingdom. And so we want you to be able to do that and be blessed as you do.